commence today's show with The Intercept's Washington Bureau Chief and co-host of CounterPoints, Ryan Grimm, about his new book, The Squad, AOC and the Hope of a Political Revolution. I am pleased to welcome Ryan Grimm back to this program. Ryan, how are you, sir? I'm good. How are you, Tavis? Man, if I complained, I'd be an ingrate. I'm doing well and delighted always to be in dialogue with you, particularly about this new book, The Squad, AOC, and the Hope of a Political Revolution. We'll jump right into that in a moment. Uh, for two minutes, though, right quick, here's some breaking news, breaking news out of the U.S. Supreme Court. The justices, we thought this was going to happen, and indeed it has. The justices have decided uh, to uh, hear a case which would uh, uh, could, in fact, affect the cases of hundreds of people charged in connection with the January 6th attack on the Capitol and potentially the prosecution of one Donald J. Trump. They are going to hear and decide the scope of obstruction charges central to Trump's January 6th case. Um, as we all know, Ryan, uh, Donald Trump appointed some of the members of the U.S. Supreme Court, mm -hmm. and now they will sit in judgment as to the scope, if any, of the prosecution against him. Jack Smith has asked for this ruling. Uh, the prosecutor, special prosecutor, asked for this ruling early before they get too much deeper into this. But the Supreme Court will now rule on the potentiality, the scope of the prosecution of one former president, Donald J. Trump. How do you read this breaking news? I mean, it's a really interesting case and a really interesting question because it's not actually obvious which side people should necessarily fall down on, but based on you know which party they're in and, and how they feel about things. Because essentially, they're talking about the obstruction of an official proceeding count here. Now, this is a law that over the last couple decades has really only been applied to people who tampered with evidence, destroyed evidence, you know, you know, actively wrecked things to get inside of an official proceeding. Mm -hmm. The the fear that some civil liberties people have is, you know how people stand up and protest at a at a congressional hearing mm -hmm. or, you know, they'll go to they'll go to a vote and they'll yell from the gallery, you know, you're you've got blood on your hands for funding this war or, or otherwise are protest that they're worried that if this gets kind of weapon gets into the wrong hands, anybody who protests anything is going to get hit with this obstructing of official proceeding. Mm -hmm. And because the argument is, hey, like obstructing an official proceeding that's kind of the point of a protest and so the, so you could say look there's so many charges to hit these rioters with there's so many charges that you've got trump on he's facing four from uh, jack smith alone if it goes down to three and you take that weapon out of the hands of future prosecutors maybe that's worth it so but we'll we'll see the supreme mm -hmm. court's going to rule on whether or not this applies so what's fascinating about what ryan already said uh and we'll come to it in just a moment here uh, as we continue this dialogue get this dialogue started really is whether or not uh, if the Supreme Court rules that Jack Smith has gone too far in these obstruction charges. Um, I got a smart audience. They already see where this is headed. Um, all these crazy white folk <laughs> who ran up on Capitol Hill could, in fact, uh, uh, be uh, be given a break because the Supreme Court rules, uh, as Ryan just said, that a protest is about obstructing uh, normal proceedings. And so they have a right to do that. You see where I'm headed, right? We'll continue when we come forward with Ryan Graham on Tavis Smile. You're listening to Tavis Smile. Tavis Smile. Rank number 45 on the heavy hundred list of the 100 most important radio talk show hosts in America. Helping to make you the most knowledgeable person in your circle of friends. This is Tavis Smiley. 
Tavis Smiley and Ryan Grimm, who is the Intercepts Washington Bureau Chief and co-host of CounterPoints. His new book is called The Squad, AOC, and the Hope of a Political Revolution. We'll get right into that book. I promise in a moment, but there's some breaking news in case you've just tuned in. I will repeat what I said moments ago. The U.S. Supreme Court has agreed to hear uh, the scope of obstruction charges uh, central uh, to Trump's January 6th case. Now, uh, this is Jack Smith, the federal prosecutor who's uh, uh, in charge of the case about what happened on January 6th. Uh, he has asked the Supreme Court um, to hear uh, urgently a case regarding uh, the following. And here's the essential question. Can the government charge defendants in these cases under a federal law that makes it a crime to corruptly uh, obstruct an official congressional proceeding. You hear Ryan's point, and he's, it's, it's spot on, that the point of a protest is to obstruct. And so the question is whether or not Jack Smith can prosecute not just Donald Trump, but think of all the hundreds of folk who've already been uh, uh, tried and convicted. All of those convictions could, in fact, be overturned. For these fools, I mean, these fellow citizens who ran up <laughs> on Capitol Hill. They can be both. They, they, they can be both, exactly. So all the folk who were involved in this insurrection could, underline the word could, could in fact have many of their cases overturned if the Supreme Court rules. They have a right to do that. That's the point of protest. And you can't charge them with that particular violation of the law. Uh, obviously, it has far-reaching effects for Donald Trump, not the least of which, Ryan Grimm, is that it's going to uh, likely delay the case yeah. of Donald Trump. And that's exactly what Donald Trump wants. All these cases delayed. You and I talked the last time you were on, made a joke about it, in fact, although it ain't funny, that Joe Biden's best chance to win, according to many of these <laughs> polls, is for Donald Trump to be convicted during the race. If Donald Trump is not convicted during the race, then it is what it is. That, 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 that's a lot for you to unpack, Ryan, but your thoughts on any of what I've just said. Yeah, because and as you get closer, it becomes really dicey. You're like, what, at what point when the mail ballots are going out in September, October, are you going to, you know, you convict the guy in October? Uh, then you then you, then it's a then there's a delay for sentencing. So you're I think you're exactly right that the most important thing to come out of this is the delay because you know we're almost at you know the christmas holidays and mm -hmm. then we're into then we're into january and really soon we're, we're pushing into the spring and summer and the, the campaign is fully on and i think the courts will be a lot more reluctant at that point you know they're not that they have not they've been eager to move with any haste to begin with but the closer you get to the election the harder it gets yeah but on yeah and i think there's about 300 uh can 300 of those uh, January 6th folks who have that obstruction charge. Now, a lot of them have other charges, too. Sure, you know, sure, trespassing, sure. Van vandalism, assaulting officers, other, you know, all sorts of, you know, reckless, crazy behavior that you can criminalize in other ways. But, yeah, if that got overturned, it would it would be a it would yeah. be a boon to to some of those folks. So so for those who know um, sports analogies, and that would be most of us. Uh, we talk all the time, uh, certainly in football, we're in football season, about Hail Marys. Uh, everybody recalls uh, the ultimate uh, Doug Flutie Hail Mary, uh, what, 20, 30 years ago. Uh, but we always talk about Hail Marys in football. I saw, I saw one, I saw a couple of attempts at that this past Sunday. This would be uh, the ultimate, the mother of all Hail Marys. 
that, that, that if Donald <laughs> Trump and his team can pull this off, and to your point, those 300 other persons who've already been convicted under this charge would have those uh, those convictions overturned. It is the mother, I repeat, of all Hail Marys. I have read on The Intercept, I've discussed on this program, everybody in black America has had the same response, certainly, um, to what happened on January 6th. And if these had been black folk, if these had been black folk storming mm-hmm. the Capitol, There'd be there'd be absolutely no possibility of a Hail Mary uh, where the Supreme Court could could make a decision that they were prosecuted under a law that they shouldn't have been prosecuted under. And we're going to overturn all of that. It's going to impact Donald Trump's case. It's going to delay the trial of Donald Trump. There's no way in the world had these been black folk that we'd be in this frame. So what do you say about how the country, certainly people of color, black folk are going to respond if the Supreme Court rules in a way, I remind the audience, they already know this, Donald Trump appointed, appointed that is, some members of this court. If they were to rule that Jack Smith is wrong in this case and it impacts Donald Trump's trial and all these convictions overturned, how in a so-called democracy where they've now given cover to these persons storming and insurrecting at the Capitol, how are we going to process that, Ryan? Well, first of all, you never would have had a 10,000 black protesters get into the Capitol <laughs> because there would have been a hundred thousand cops there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, you, you get like a, a thousand black protesters out and you, and you've got 5,000 cops. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, the idea th- that was, that was to me the most striking thing. Cause you know, I've been covering, um, and before I was a journalist attending protests, you know, at the, in Washington, 20, 25 years or whatever. And, you know, you get some left-wing anti-war people out there and they'll, they will literally bring in police from Ohio mm-hmm. uh, to, to make sure that you've got it protected. You, you have those Trump, those MAGA folks in there for days ahead of January 6th. The, the city was just teeming with people posting online about how they're armed and they're going to do 1776. Like they kept, they kept telling you exactly what they planned on doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they're filling the city day after day. And all they had is some bike racks out there and the normal number of cops. That just absolutely would not have happened if you're talking about black demonstrators. Like yeah. you would have had the National Guard. You, you know, it just, you, you don't even have to imagine like what it would look like. Yeah. Uh, but yes, I think years later, then the Supreme Court comes in and says, well, you got you were a little bit rough on these folks. Um, you, you know, that that sends a, a signal that they aren't serious about, mm-hmm. you know, defend, defending democracy. Now, what's fascinating, I don't know if you've noticed this on the right. Uh, they are now completely incapable of organizing a rally of more than like 12 people, because as soon as somebody goes on Facebook to say, hey, let's pro- you know, let's protest this or that thing. Everyone jumps in and calls them a Fed mm-hmm. and says this is some this is a trap. So they have like really they they out organized the left on January sixth. Um, but the response, even even if the Supreme Court lets some of them off on this uh, on this case, the response is that they're so paranoid now about you know Fed infiltration that they sure. can't 
uh, they can't fill up a bus anymore. Yeah. And yet, your point notwithstanding, Ryan, I, I, I can only read this if the Supreme Court were to go in this direction and we're talking about it. Why? Because uh, it, it's possible that they would go in this direction given all the other rulings that they've uh, rendered over mm-hmm. the last couple of years. Uh, it's it's not at all unlikely that the U.S. Supreme the, the Court, court the, yeah. Yeah, will come to the yeah, rescue. The lower, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Ryan. Sorry, yeah, just to your point, yeah, the lower court ruled two to one on this, and the one was a Trump judge. Who, who said, yeah, like, this is too far. Exactly. Like, you shouldn't have been able to. Yeah. So, there's, so, there's, so there's more evidence, courtesy of Ryan Grimm from The Intercept. That's why, that's why he does what he does so well. There is more evidence <laughs> of, the point, of the point I was trying to make or about to make, which is it is highly likely, uh, not at all impossible, that the Supreme Court could, again, in this ultimate Hail Mary, come to the rescue of these white supremacists who stormed our Capitol on January the 6th and give them uh, once again another way out. The point you made prior to, notwithstanding, Ryan, I can only read this as a shot in the arm to these white supremacists in this country that would embolden them to say nothing of how it's going to how it's going to just excite all over again the rabid right and here again that plays into Donald Trump saying Trump I can hear Trump right now you can hear him right now on the stump where his supreme court to go in this direction he's going to remind you I supported I appointed these members of the U.S. Supreme Court who just gave you this reprieve. And if you give me another term, you can hear the stump speech, can you not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, yeah, and he's been out there saying, like, I'm going to review, I, I might pardon these these folks. It's, it, it went from this huge black mark on the Republican Party that they were complicit in organizing this, this like, uprising against the tr- peaceful transfer of power to now you've got Trump saying, yeah, I, I might even pardon all these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'll say a final uh, a final word about this. I was just in conversation with somebody the other day, and this came up. Uh, to Ryan's earlier point, uh, his eloquent point, that had these been 10,000 Negroes, they couldn't have got anywhere near the Capitol, <laughs> much less on the inside. I was reminding somebody the other day that at the March on Washington, April 28, 1963, of course, um, JFK, uh, President John F. Kennedy, uh, and the government were so scared of all these black folk coming to Washington. Now, mind you, you all seen the pictures. You've seen the you've seen the the, the documentaries. These are black women in dresses and high heels. <laughs> these are black men in suits mm-hmm. suits and ties. They were so afraid of all these Negroes at the time coming to the Capitol that they called in the federal government. I mean, they called in the uh, the uh, the Federal Reserve, um, the police. Uh, to Ryan's point, from states around. <laughs> Uh, had assembled in Washington. <clears throat> they had law enforcement everywhere. They were so afraid of what was going to happen at the March on Washington. As I said to somebody the other day, and this was a march that was was headed in part by the guy who had won the Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> I mean, right. think about that. This yeah. guy had won yeah. the Nobel Peace Prize, and yet they were so scared. They were so scared. What was going to happen? They called in yeah. cops and law enforcement from everywhere, and you'll be happy to know. And for those who know your history, you already know this. There was not a single, not one, over a quarter million people on the Capitol that day uh, on the at the uh, at the Lincoln Memorial. Uh, not a single arrest for any kind of vandalism or any of in anything. Not a single arrest that day at all. Uh, and uh, you got a quarter million people there assembled. These are black people. Uh, you got, uh, comparatively speaking, a handful of, of white folk storming the Capitol. There are hundreds of arrests, and now the Supreme Court may come to their rescue. I digress on that, but that is the breaking news of the day. Rest assured, for days on end now, uh, we'll be 
unpacking that here, uh, not just on this station, but certainly on every major news outlet and at the Intercept. They'll be talking about this, trust and believe, uh, what the mm-hmm. what the tentacles are, what the ramifications are potentially of a Supreme Court that's already out of control, uh, getting more out of control and coming once again to the rescue of these protesters on January 6th. We'll leave that there for now. So, Ryan, looking at my clock, i got about two minutes here now before we continue on the other side. Let me let me use these two minutes, or let you use these two minutes to set up, to explain why you wrote the squad, what the book is about, uh, and then uh, when we come forward, we'll spend the rest of our time talking about the squad uh, going right into these pages. But give me give me your thesis um, uh, here at the outset. Yeah, the, the book is about, you know, first these four women in 2018, a- AOC, Ayanna Presley, Rashida Tlaib, Ilhan Omar, and then joined by Jamal Bowman and Cori Bush uh, two years later, how this kind of people-powered movement, these, these idealistic folks who come from outside the system crash into Washington in, into a place that's really designed to crush idealism, to crush people power. And half the book is really about the reaction to them, but not just from Donald Trump, but from within their own party and from the, uh, the kind of pro-Israel world that, that put together massive big money operations to say, wait a minute, we, we can't really have this. Mm-hmm. Um, for those persons who reacted uh, viscerally, how scared were, are they by the squad? It ain't but six of them, but how scared, how scared are they by them? Well, I, I think for one, people are starting to use scared and, and safety to mean they're angry. Mm-hmm. Like they're not they're not actually that scared, but they're really angry. But what they are scared of is the idea that the squad could create space, uh, you know, on the one hand for, you know, robust, honest criticism of what Israel is doing, Mm -hmm. but really also create space for a more progressive agenda when it comes to a Green New Deal, Medicare for all, higher wages, more, more, you know, more union power. The basic kind of things that cut up against corporate and, uh, you know, uber wealthy power. Yep. But for those who are, were concerned about that, um, Nancy Pelosi shot that down early on, it seems to me, um, for all the good <laughs> that Nancy Pelosi did. And she did do some good as speaker. Let's be clear. We wouldn't have Obamacare were it not for Nancy Pelosi, because at one point, mm-hmm. as Ryan will mm-hmm. recall, I remember this like it was yesterday, uh, with all due respect to Barack Obama and his former chief of staff, uh, the former mayor of Chicago, Rahm Emanuel, they had basically thrown in the towel. And if you know the story about this, Nancy Pelosi went to the White House and basically cussed out the president and Rahm Emanuel and told them, I have worked my behind off to get every Democrat lined up to pass Obamacare. Don't you dare negotiate against yourself. Don't you dare throw the towel in on this. And as you know, Obamacare passed without a single Republican vote. But Nancy Pelosi pushed that through. Not even Barack Obama or Rahm Emanuel. Nancy Pelosi made that happen. So she did some great work. Uh, but she shut down uh, AOC and this progressive agenda pretty early on. We'll talk about that and a great deal more. The book is called The Squad, AOC, and the Hope of a Political Revolution. The author of that book is the Intercepts of Washington Bureau Chief, Ryan Grimm, our guest right now on Tavis Smiley. Seeking the truth, speaking the truth. This is the Tavis Smiley Show. May Fresh Daily in the Mert Park, Los Angeles, California. You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Tavis Smiley and Ryan Grimm, who is the Intercepts Washington Bureau Chief, co-host of CounterPoints and author of the brand new book out now, The Squad, AOC and the hope of a political revolution. You've said a few things already, Ryan, worth unpacking. Let me start with this. When you referred to uh, the rise of these members uh, of the squad, six now, as a people-powered movement, unpack that phrase. 
they fought against what they would describe as the corporate wing of the Democratic Party mm-hmm. that didn't really spend much time trying to reach out to kind of grassroots voters uh, because they had enough money coming in from the PACs from the lobbyists and, and from Washington Democrats to just kind of shower on them. Like if you won the primary and the primary basically took place in Washington, you'd go to Washington, you'd meet with Benny Hoyer, meet with Nancy Pelosi. They ask you a couple questions. And if, if you're their guy, then you're their guy. And, you know, used to be all guys. Now they've, now they've diversified that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas what Barack Obama showed in 2008 was that you could raise enough small donors, small money you know, from small donors, that it would add up to hundreds of millions of dollars. Now, he also obviously took lots of money from super rich donors <laughs> as well. And, and as, as his uh, administration went on, those are the folks that, you know, were getting a lot of the meetings. But it really showed the way forward. And in 2015 and 16, when Bernie Sanders took on Hillary Clinton, he expected that maybe he'd raise $20 million his entire campaign. He raised like a million dollars just off a of C-SPAN in a 24-hour period when he launched his campaign. Mm-hmm. It's like, he was kind of obscure at the time. He, you know, he's a senator, but not that many people had really even heard of him. But there was just this hunger for something else than what the Democratic Party was kind of offering up. And so by people powered, I mean people chipping in 10, 15, 20, 30 dollars in big enough numbers that now all of a sudden uh, you can compete and you don't need that lobbyist money. And then you can just base your political positions on, you know, what the people who support you want you to do. Mm -hmm. Given what Bernie showed could be done and for your for that matter, what Barack Obama, to your point, showed what could be done with with small donors. um, Why? Let me just pivot for a second. We'll come right back to the book. Uh, Why, to your mind, Ryan, has this people powered movement, as you call it, which elected members of the squad to Congress. But why is that same people powered movement uh, writ large not created a robust third party, a robust independent party in this country as yet? Getting the infrastructure together to compete uh, as a major party is so much harder uh, than competing within a Democratic primary. You know, every time a third party in our history has kind of risen up and become a major party, it's not because people successfully kind of organized it from the bottom up and overthrew the other party. It was because the other party fell fell apart, Mm -hmm. like the Whigs are the last major party that fell apart. That's because they, they had this completely irreconcilable position on slavery, which was half the party in the North was uh, okay with it. Half the party in the North was, uh, was against it. Most of the, obviously all the party in the South was for it. And so when slavery became a big issue and they couldn't suppress it anymore with these like crazy compromises of this year and that year that they kept doing when they were forced to call the question, the Whigs just collapsed mm-hmm. and kind of and then that created a vacuum and all of these other parties tried to, like, force their way in. And the Republican Party becomes the one that kind of becomes the, the winner. So you would need one of these major parties to, to basically collapse under the weight of its own contradictions. Then you can have a third party come in. So absent that, if you're somebody like AOC or Rashida or Bernie, uh, and you want to influence things, you, you've got to kind of work in through the Democratic primary. Because also, Democratic voters kind of agree with the squad and with Bernie and uh, folks like that in general. If they can just compete on the resources, you know, they can 
they don't really need a new party in that sense. Yeah. What's fascinating for me, and this is just a quick aside, you'll take my point, though. Uh, and it's not the end-all, be-all, but it, I think it underscores the point you just made about how difficult it is to get a third party off the ground, even with the people power movement. And when those persons get inside, they understand and learn they have to work inside the system mm -hmm. as it is currently structured rather than creating an alternative. So here's, a, here's the irony. So Cornell West crisscrossed the country, as you know, for Bernie, Bernie Sanders <laughs> years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, he supported AOC. And both AOC mm -hmm. and Bernie came out almost immediately and endorsed Joe Biden for reelection, even as Cornell West is running uh, and they couldn't return the favor to him. Uh, that he offered to them. And I'm not suggesting that Cornel West has run for office, but neither, but for that matter, neither at AOC. She hadn't run before she ran uh, and won. Uh, Bernie, again, a, a bit of a different story, but it's just fascinating for me to watch how neither one of them would come anywhere near endorsing Cornel West in his independent run, although Cornel had done all that for them because once you get on the inside, to your point, you realize you got to work inside the system. So Bernie was an outsider. Yeah. But he endorsed Biden almost immediately for re-election. AOC was yep. an outsider. She almost she endorsed Biden almost immediately for his re-election. Just to just to just another example of, of how this works once you get on the inside and you realize how it works. Speaking of being on the inside, so AOC shows up uh, and um, she pushes back, uh, you know, in her own way against uh, Nancy Pelosi and the Democratic establishment. She's pushing back with what what some call what some would call a, a more idealistic agenda. Um, uh, pushing back with what others would call a more progressive agenda. Nancy Pelosi basically smacks her down, as you'll recall. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I raise that because I want to, we've used these two terms, you have and I have, idealistic and progressive. My question is simply this regarding your book. Once again, it's called The Squad, AOC and the Hope of a Political Revolution. Is the squad, is the squad, Ryan, too idealistic or too progressive? Those ain't the same thing. Right. And so, you know, when they would be, when, when they would get more pragmatic and work within the system, uh, they would feel themselves compromising in a way that, um, and they would feel themselves getting criticized too for those, for those compromises. So it's, it's never an easy answer. I'll, I'll tell you one quick story mm -hmm. from the book. I'd love to get your take on this one. Um, so do you remember back when there was that controversy over TurboTax where Congress was busted trying to pass a law that would have banned the IRS mm -hmm. from basically uh, producing a free competitor to TurboTax. Because, like, right now, uh, you know, at, at the time when you file your taxes, like, there was no no way to do it online for free. Mm -hmm. And it's like, wait a minute. Like, you were the most sophisticated government in, in the world. <laughs> I'm giving you all my money. <laughs> And I have to then go to this private company and pay them, and yeah. pay them, and pay them too. Yeah. And so, so in this bill, ProPublica reports, hey, actually, they're going to ban the government, the IRS, because the IRS had a pilot going where they're going to like they're going to figure out how how they can just let people file for free online. Mm -hmm. It shouldn't be that hard. And so AOC. And her, her ally, Katie Hill, who's now gone from Congress, they, mm -hmm. they learn about this. They're in, they're in a hearing. And they're like, this is outrageous. We can't do this. And so she talks to other members of the squad. And, and people are hearing from the leadership. They're like, yeah, this is don't, – don't really worry about it. I'm not sure this article is right. And, so, and it's like in the article, it's all these law professors and tax professors that are saying, like, this is what, this is what the law says. So she talks to her legislative aide and they're they're walking down 
to the cap to the to the floor, and they're going to talk to the sponsor of the bill mm-hmm. to see what they can do about this sponsor of the bill. They had given the bill to John Lewis, mm-hmm. and John Lewis just absolutely oozes kind of moral charisma. Mm-hmm. Like you, you know John Lewis. Oh yeah, uh, the, the late John Lewis. You, and so she goes into the cloakroom and comes back out like ten minutes later and talks to her age. She's like, ugh. You know, John John Lewis was saying this and saying this about the bill, and there's a lot of good things in the bill. And her aide was telling me, he's like, you know, you go and tell John that he's corrupt yeah. and that he's doing the bidding. of it, This is hard stuff. And so she's like, what do I do? He's like, you can't vote for this. Like, you will get crucified if you mm-hmm. vote for this. She's like, but I don't want to, you know. And so then she goes on to the Hold that thought. Hold that thought. I want to hear what happens when she goes onto the floor. You're listening to the great storyteller, Ryan Grimm, author of the book, The Squad, AOC, and the Hope of a Political Revolution. You're up against John Lewis, uh, Mr. 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 Morality, uh, Mr. Conscience, Mr. Civil Rights Movement. What do you do now that you're on the floor? That when we come forward on Tavis Smiley. Hope, agency, dignity. This is Tavis Smiley. Let's get back to more of this rich dialogue with Tavis Smiley. This story is told in the book The Squad, AOC, and the Hope of a Political Revolution, uh, written by uh, Ryan Grimm. But you get to hear it on Tavis Smiley right now. Ryan, finish the story of AOC and John Lewis. Right. So she's talking to John Lewis in the cloakroom. She's telling him, like, let's take this TurboTax giveaway out. So she comes out, tells her aide, you know, John makes a lot of good points. There's a lot of good stuff in the bill. And, and his counterarguments, he's like, look, we're in the majority now. We don't have to do bad things just to do good things. We can just do the good things. So she's like, oh, okay. So like, she goes to the floor, and her, her decision then at that point is uh, whether or not to call for a vote. So she gets up, uh, she, and she gives like her one-minute speech on the floor, and she praises a lot of the good things that are in the bill. And then she says, you know, this turbo tax provision is bad, is bad. You know, we shouldn't we shouldn't be doing this. People should be allowed to, like, file their taxes for free. This is basic stuff. Thank you. And so she steps aside. They then they then call the vote and they say, all in favor. aye, all opposed. Nay. And then the key moment comes. The guy, the presiding officer says, does anybody here want a recorded vote? And you have to demand it. You have to say, you have to put your hand up. Now, 99.9% of the time, somebody says, yeah, I want to vote. And then that, that's why you see the votes on C-SPAN. If nobody says that, mm-hmm. they don't call a vote. Mm-hmm. So the moment of truth comes, and she's like, and she, and she, you only have a couple of, you know, you got, you got time to make a decision, but not long. And she just decides, you know what? No, I'm not going to force a, a vote just to, just to like, Put, just to put people on record here, mm-hmm. and she just and she kind of just let and just lets it go through, and so it passes unanimously. And her aide is like, you know, I get it. Like she she has to ride on buses with these people. She sees these people all the time. Well, you know, it was going to pass anyway. But on the other hand, the public was outraged. Mm-hmm. Like the public did not want this thing passing unanimously. Mm-hmm. So the book doesn't really like come to a firm conclusion one way or another on you know. Is you know is she like you know the 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 greatest politician on the planet or is she a complete sellout? It's like here here are the situations you're faced with when you when you come in to Congress uh, trying to bring with you 
your values and yeah. here are the compromises that are put in front of you and here are the choices that people end up making. Yeah. When we come forward, our remaining moments with Ron Grimm, it's those last two words in his book's subtitle that I want to interrogate. Uh, the book is called The Squad, AOC and the Hope of a, wait for it, Political Revolution. A Political Revolution. Is that possible? Is that in the offing in this place we call America? We'll talk about that. Uh, with Ryan Grimm on Tavis Smiley. What's your quarrel with the world? You're listening to Tavis Smiley. Sounds different. different, huh? This, this is Tavis Smiley. Ryan Grimm, is there a hope of a political revolution in this country, or are we forever uh, stuck in the frame that we are presently in? Oh, man. Uh, I think there's always a hope. The last 10 years have seen a, a real kind of shift in our politics. I mean, look at, look, at, look at where we are now compared to where we were. One of, the, one of the remarkable things about writing this book to me was going back over everything that's happened in just the last, like, seven, eight years. Mm-hmm. I didn't realize that the same time that Donald Trump announced for president, that same week is when the Supreme Court legalized marriage equality. Like, it, for some some reason like that 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 we got trump and marriage equality into our mm-hmm. political world at the same time just didn't that didn't seem right like something feels off about that mm-hmm. the the ability the ability of regular people to kind of raise the amount of money through small dollars uh, that exists now is 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 a transformation i guess what i'd say ultimately is that Political revolutions don't last anyway. Mm-hmm. And even the French, even the French Revolution, you know that one's beaten back. Um, I, I would call the Civil War a, a, an American political revolution, uh, but then it gets beaten back a li- you know a bit with and absorbed into Jim, Jim Crow. You know mm-hmm. we're always going kind of you know ebb, ebbing and flowing. So I think yes, like I think we've we've seen significant changes over the years and people can keep fighting for it mm-hmm. but the system is so powerful and so good at absorbing that that there's always going to be then a reaction like now that you've got um you know de- the democrats and the republicans are all like flooding your inbox raising small dollars to just give to kind of mainstream centrist candidates yeah uh, and if you don't if you don't give today, like the world's going to end. Yeah, um, it is still early in their story. Um, their narrative has not yet uh, been uh, written, not nearly mm-hmm. finished. But what impact would you say the squad, by their presence, by their protest, by their policy, what impact has the squad had to date? I mean, I think that for, certainly in this fight over the question of the U.S. support for just un- unchecked, unconditional support for Israel's war in Gaza. Mm-hmm. I think you're seeing space created um, by the by the squad um, to to criticize that, and we'll see what that leads to in in the months and years to come. Mm-hmm. I also think that I also think the climate bending that was in Biden's major bill that he passed mm-hmm. um, might not have been there, you know, were it not for the Green New Deal, the Sunrise Movement, these kind of and the, and the squad really kind of forcing the climate conversation in. So to the extent that we can move a little quicker in a transition away from fossil fuels, uh, I think they, I think they would I think they deserve some serious credit for changing the narrative there. Yeah. Um, his book is called The Squad, 
AOC and the Hope of a Political Revolution, available now wherever fine books are sold. His name is Ryan Grimm. He's the Intercepts Washington Real Chief and the co-host of Counterpoints. Uh, always, Ryan, delighted to have you on this program. Congrats once again, my friend, on the text. Thank you. Uh, enjoy this conversation. Happy holidays to you. We'll do it again, hopefully in the new year. And to you too. I can't wait. Appreciate you, my friend. All the best to you.